this is going to be where we're at in Scripture today. Um, and that's going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 22. And it'll be on the screen if you would like to read along with me. So Luke, chapter 22, starting in verse 7, says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined to the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes at his as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, this morning, we're going to do things just a little bit differently. You probably guessed that based on how the stage is set up today. As soon as I sit in this chair, some of you guys are going to hate this. You're going to be like, no, 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 no. The preacher sits behind a pulpit, he stands, he needs to grip the sides of the wooden podium, right? Especially if you grew up uh, maybe Presbyterian. Uh, this may seem blasphemous to you. Let me just be clear. The reason that I'm sitting in a chair right now and not standing behind a pulpit is because I need to share some things with you that are at the heart of the life of our church. There are things that are coming up very soon, things that we need our covenant members to actively participate in, and not just to come and, and maybe make a rash decision uh, in a few minutes of having hear, heard a brief explanation, but I need you guys to be thinking about and praying about some things in the next few weeks. And so in order to be clear with my body language, I'm going to sit and talk you through just a couple things that are coming up, and then when we go to God's Word, we're going to address the Scripture that Tyler read, and I will stand for that portion, and I will read from the Bible so that you know what's going on. So I'm going to ask you to do something that is kind of the opposite of what most preachers want you to do, if you are a person who keeps a calendar in your cell phone or on your tablet, now is a great time to get it out. I'm going to tell you some things that you need to know, dates, times, locations. Even if you're a guest today, if you're a person who's here just to explore what's going on at our church, what we're like, uh, these are opportunities for you to be very near to the heart of who we are as a church. The things I'm going to explain to you and share with you are really, really important and I think are going to give you a rare opportunity to participate in things that you may have seen happen on stages at other churches from time to time, but I want to give you guys a chance to participate. So let me jump in. I'm going to share some things with you. First of all, you've heard us mention this a couple of times, um, but I specifically asked Ian not to share it in the announcements today so that I could touch on it here. We have a covenant member meeting coming up on December the 2nd. That's a Thursday evening. 
Now, I have a change for you based on some things that have happened in the last couple of weeks, and I think this is going to be exciting for you to hear, but we are not having that meeting in this building. I think the last six covenant member meetings that we've had, we have two a year typically. We've met here at First Baptist Church downstairs in the fellowship hall. Uh, I'm trying to think of a covenant member meeting that I may have been a part of that wasn't in this building. It's possible we had one at Christ Community Church uh, in that time, but we're not meeting here. We're going to meet at 382 Muldoon Road, which, if you are familiar with the east side of town, is the big red church, tall white steeple, Muldoon Road Baptist Church, big white pillars in the front. And the reason that we're meeting at that location for that business meeting is because a week ago, one week back from today, at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, um, I received an email that was a letter written on the letterhead of Muldoon Road Baptist Church formally extending to us the opportunity to merge with that church and become one new church together. Now, if you were here a week ago at our business discussion on the 7th, you heard us talk a little bit about that. I think I clocked in at about 11 minutes of trying to briefly share with you weeks and weeks of meetings and things that have happened behind the scenes with our elders and their leadership. But we're in a position now where we need to vote on December the 2nd, if possible, about whether we move forward with that opportunity or not. And so we as elders, myself, Ian, who you heard from earlier today, Scott Belmore, who's here today, we believe that we owe you the opportunity to really consider these things, to weigh in on them, to pray about them, to drive over there and circle the building in your car, you know, like a creep at night and figure out if you think it's a good building or not. Um, But I want to try to lay out, if I can, the details for you of what that merger might mean, just briefly. This is why I need to share it with you in this setting, as it's that important. Muldoon Road Baptist Church has a great history in our city. Uh, At one point, I would argue that it was the most healthy, most vibrant, community-oriented church on the east side of town. There's a reason that building is as big as it is. They needed that space at one time. Uh, For a number of different reasons that we can get into when we meet on December 2nd, I'll be happy to share my perspective with you. Um, The church is now down to about 20 active members. When they voted last week, 25 people showed up. As is often the case in a business meeting vote at a traditional Southern Baptist church, some of those people nobody had seen in 15 years, but the majority of them typically attend and have really hung on tight. I think there's a lesson for us to learn in the way that those people have seen their calling from God to be commitment to that local body. They could have left a long time ago. It's been hard for a very, very long time, but they've stayed. Recently, they lost their pastor. Um, They've lost a little bit of their leadership. Their youngest deacon is a gentleman named Russ Mabry. He's 82 years old, a faithful saint. Uh, But just to give you an idea of the folks that are over there, and after about two months of me going and preaching on Sunday mornings, a few other people have helped me with that um, because they don't start till 11 a.m., they've reached the point where they see and feel and sense in their spirits collectively that the answer to their prayer that they've been praying to God about what their future holds is us. How scary is that, huh? When somebody's been praying and God says, these other people, you guys need to be the ones to step in and help with that. So we think as elders that there's a lot of positive that would come with it. You probably have questions. If I can address just a couple things quickly to try to set your mind and heart at ease, and then I'm going to tell you how that meeting's going to work on the second, and we'll move on. First of all, those members that remain at Muldoon Road Baptist Church, what they are asking by extending an offer to merge with us is they are asking that we would allow them into our covenant membership. Now, frankly, they don't probably meet all the prerequisites of our covenant membership at this point. However, they are members in good standing according to their own constitution and bylaws, and we can't expect everybody in the world to be willing to immediately and automatically meet our prerequisites when they don't even know what they are. So as elders, we're comfortable allowing those folks into membership for a year, and then we will ask at the conclusion of 2022 if our church votes yes on this merger. It's not a done deal. That's power that you have as covenant members. But 
if those people become a part of us, at the end of 2022, we will ask them to have met all four prerequisites of covenant membership before they would renew. Those of you who've been members here for a little while know that we renew our membership annually. And so that's the way that we'll help them. They'll, they'll have a year, which we think is fair, to onboard and acclimate and get used to what we're doing. Um, they have no leadership right now. Like I said, they have basically one or two deacons that are trying to serve the church, but a deacon is not an elder, is not a pastor. They cannot uh, provide the leadership the church needs. And so in many ways, their leadership vacuum creates a lot of ease for us because they want our elders to be their elders. They want our membership process to be their membership process. They want our constitution and bylaws to be their constitution and bylaws, our church name to be their church name. Essentially, what they bring to the table, and I'm not at all trying to oversimplify, but I want to be clear, is they bring 20 faithful members that are probably older than most of us and have a lot of wisdom to share, which is frankly an answer to a prayer I've prayed since the first day that I got to this church three years ago. And they bring a facility, which we also lack and cannot produce out of thin air on our own. So I want to briefly, if I can, address those of you who are a part of First Baptist. There's a handful of you I know that sit in on our services on Sunday mornings. We love you guys. We're not trying to jump ship on you. We're going to honor our arrangement, our agreement. We have a plan that we'll share on December the 2nd, but right now our plan is to fully transition to that location by August of 2022, pending, pending an affirmative vote by you, the covenant members on December the 2nd. So we'll take the first six months of the year to be in transition, and we'll share how we want to do that. We don't want to overwhelm those 20 people. We don't want them to feel like their church lost and our church won or that we're taking over or anything like that. So when you come to that meeting on December 2nd, you're going to arrive at 6 p.m. You'll probably arrive at 6.18 or so, just based on how this morning went, but you'll try to get there at 6 p.m., right? That's your goal. You're going to want to do it, and then your kids won't be able to find their boots, and you'll be so frustrated, but you'll come, okay? When you get there, we're going to meet in that building. I've already cleared this with their membership. And we're going to have staff and elders stationed in different locations. And the first 30 minutes of our time together, you're going to get to walk through that space. And we're going to tell you what we know. We have a building inspection that's done. We're going to make that report accessible to you. We've had an environmental assessment done for lead paint, asbestos, the practical things that you have to look into when you're going to maybe get a building that was built in the 60s in Anchorage. But we want you to walk through the building. We're going to give you a chance to pray together, to sit in the sanctuary, to see the kids' rooms, to take a look at the different areas. And then at 6.30, we will start our business meeting. If you were here for the discussion last week, you received an overview of all 10 items that we're going to be voting on. An 11th item that was not on the agenda a week ago is whether or not we merge with Muldoon Road. So the other 10 items will be balloted. Okay, you're going to get a piece of paper if your name is on the membership list. So this is a little reminder to those of you who are life group leaders to get your covenant membership forms into me, please, so that I can make sure everybody gets a ballot who needs one. You'll fill those out. We'll send them away to be counted. And then we're going to have a discussion, and we're going to vote in person only. So we won't allow you to vote on Muldoon Road by way of absentee ballot. We just can't do it because we have to have discussion that night. We're going to vote first on whether or not we're ready to vote. I know that seems kind of obtuse, but that's good practice according to Robert's Rules of Order. We're going to ask each other, do we have enough information yet? Have we had enough time to pray about this? This is a busy season. Maybe we need to take another month or another eight weeks. We have the ability to do that if we need to. But if we feel that we have the information that we need at that point, we will move to vote, and then we will vote together that night, Thursday night, December the 2nd, and that'll probably be around 7 or 7.30. So even if you can't make the beginning part of the meeting, if you're a covenant member or a person who regularly attends here, I would really encourage you to come for some part of that discussion. It's not that we're going to front load the meeting with all the good stuff and then just kind of hang out and make small talk at the end, though that could be valuable and helpful to you, fellowship. But every minute of that meeting is going to be pretty full of very important things that have to do with the future of the life of our church. So if you have questions about that, 
please come to me. Come to another elder. Talk to your life group leader. Your life group leaders have been a part of two meetings about this. We met way back, I think in September, with life group leaders and just pitched the general idea to try to get an idea of what they thought back. And so we've had conversations. We've gained great questions for us to take to the people of Muldoon Road. I'll also say to you, we're going to continue to provide preaching for them at 11 a.m. And so if it ever feels like I'm scarce on a Sunday morning, I'm apologizing up front. I am scarce. As soon as I'm done here, i got to get in my car, drive to the east side, and try to be over there and wired up in time to help them. We're just doing that to try to support them. Um, Tyler's also been going and helping with worship as well. So to review, if you're going to put it in your calendar, 12 to 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., 382 Muldoon Road. Be there, come and see the facility, ask questions, pray, seek God's will, and let's find out how we're going to move together forward into the future. Okay, thing two. I have three things total. This is number two. A week from today, we... Covenant members of True North Church are going to ordain Ian Johannes. Now you're thinking to yourself, you can clap about that if you want to, if you're like down with ordination. Yeah, that's like your jam. Cool. Ordination is a great opportunity. It is something worth celebrating. I don't want to assume that you know what it means. I do assume that you're probably asking yourself, or me in your head silently, didn't you just tell me Ian's already an elder? So how, what's the order of operations here? Frankly, I wasn't here when Ian was made an elder. Ian's leadership is a big part of why my family was able to make it to Alaska, the role that he played in helping to oversee and lead the church in the interim period between pastors. But at the point that he was appointed as an elder, he was not ordained. And that's sort of a matter of opinion. Some people don't think it's necessary. Some people think it's a little too formal or old school. Here's what I can tell you about my own ordination. On the days when eldership is hardest... When people are unkind and they don't want to follow and they disagree and they want to come after you personally because you, have, you represent a principle or an idea that they disagree with, my memory of my ordination, men and women who loved me laying their hands on me and my wife and commissioning and affirming and begging God that he would use us, it's an anchor point. That memory helps me, solidifies me, it lets me take a deep breath and go, okay, Okay, there are some people somewhere who think I am sane. There are some people somewhere who think I maybe can contribute to ministry. And so we want to be able to give that gift to Ian. It's not something he and his wife Asia have been given at this point. And so it's going to be very modest. Uh, I, we played with the idea of, you know, oil and things like that, and Ian preferred that we just lay our hands on him, which is totally a biblical process. So we're going to do that at the conclusion of our service next week. About the last 15 minutes, we'll have a guest speaker for the main portion of the sermon. And then he's going to hand the baton to me. And I'm going to invite Ian and Asia to come to the front of the room so we can all look at them. I'm going to charge them a little bit with things that they've already been doing, but I'm going to remind them of the biblical precedent for the office that Ian holds in the church. And then those of you who want to, and this is why I'm telling you we need your participation, you're not going to watch me put my hands on Ian. I'm going to ask you to come and do that. If he's already been a minister, a pastor, an overseer, an elder, a shepherd in your life, or if you would like him to play that role by covenanting here at this church, it's a chance for us to participate in that. There's a portion in 1 Timothy that I don't have time to read, but Paul reminds Timothy in his moments of weakness when he's struggling to recall the laying on of hands by the council of elders in the local church that commissioned him. So if Timothy, a disciple of Paul, needs those moments, we need those moments. And frankly, Ian's going to be a part of continuing to ordain future elders at our church, and the order of operations just makes sense that he be ordained before he provide ordination for others. So you don't need to get here earlier than normal next week. But I want you to know what to expect. I hope, especially if you're watching online, you're traveling, maybe you're not feeling well, if you have the chance to be in the room, we'll still live stream the whole thing, but it's going to be a really unique opportunity for you to participate in the ministry, the future, the legacy, decades of loving people that Ian's going to continue to do in leading. and leading. And frankly, even if you have trouble picturing that, if he's already made an impact on you, 
it's the least you could do to come and encourage them. So I hope you'll make that a priority. That's number two. Number three, we're almost done. Two weeks from today. So Ian's on the 21st. A week after that, on the 28th, it's the first Sunday of Advent, so we'll have Christmas decorations on the stage. I'm really excited about that. But that Sunday morning, we are going to be sending. So we're ordaining one elder on the 21st. We're sending another elder and his family away on the 28th. And this is not because anything is wrong. If you were here early in October, October the 3rd, Scott and Dana and Ruthie, the Belmore family, were able to share with us briefly how God has been communicating with them across the last year, uh, that God has used some additional education, some travel in their life, the, the wisdom and words of people around them who love and support them, the rigorous vetting process that they've gone through to lead them to believe, and I would affirm that they're right, they're interpreting God's spirit correctly, that their next chapter of ministry is not going to be in Anchorage, Alaska. It's going to be in the United Kingdom, uh, which is also wet and dark. So I guess this has been good training for them. But we're going to lose them. We're going to lose them. And it's going to be hard. It's a thing that I haven't really thought a lot about. I've just always assumed that, you know, Scott's been here as long as I have. He always will be. Dana's been here as long as I have. She always will be. But we're going to send them off. And we're going to try to do that in a way that's really meaningful to them. Uh, we have some guests who will be joining us. And the reason I'm letting you know that this is coming is because we are going to reorder our service on 1128. So in order to let other pastors make it to their churches in town by the time their services start at 10.30 or 11, we have to front load our 9.15 service with the sending celebration for the Belmores. And so if you want to participate in that, you can't get here at 9.45. You've got to try to be here at 9.15 if you can. You could get here earlier. We're, some of us are here as early as 7. So you just get here when you want. Stay up all night if it's that important to you. Maybe it's worth it. I don't know. We're going to have guest pastors with us that are going to provide some prayer over them. And similarly to Ian and Asia, we're going to have a chance to lay hands on this family, not ordaining them for ministry, but appreciating who they have been, the shaping role that they have played in our church, thanking God for that, and then trying to launch them, giving them the absolute best opportunity to move into what's next with full confidence that we are behind them, we love them, we're not upset that they're leaving, though probably we would have chosen for them to stay, and that we appreciate all that God has done them. And so I hope you'll make that as a priority as well. So again, 12-2, we have a meeting. You got to be there. 11-21, we're ordaining an elder. If you're a covenant member, this is your responsibility, according to the New Testament, is to participate in the appointment of your own leaders. And then 11-28, we're going to commission the Belmore family. Thank them for what they've done and try to prophetically speak the truth over their lives about where they're headed and how God is going to use them. So I hope you took note of those things. It looked like most of you didn't write any of them down, so I don't know. Uh, if you're like me, you kind of hate this, right? You're like, don't do announcements at the beginning of the sermon. Don't steal from God's time. Don't steal from the pulpit. But I kind of tricked you, and that's what you don't know. Now I'm going to stand up dramatically like I'm on Mr. Rogers, okay? We're moving now into the next portion of what I told you we were going to do today. This morning, we're doing something that we try to do once a year. We didn't get to it last year because we were mostly online, but we are in a season as a church, and if you're a part of a life group, this shouldn't be news to you. We're in a season as a church right now called Covenant Renewal. I alluded to it a few minutes ago, but you might not know what I mean. At True North Church, we choose to renew our membership covenant every single year. And we don't do that because God changes, because he doesn't. God's covenants are good, they last, they're right, they stick. God always keeps his commitments to us, but we change constantly. I mean, we are so fickle, we're flippant. We had a marriage conference this weekend on the stage, that's why all this furniture is here. And one of my great takeaways was, is that two human beings trying to be married need Jesus at the center, because all we do is, is dissolve and get weaker and move apart from each other and get selfish. And so to that end, we are in a season where we're taking our membership covenant, a thing that many of us haven't thought about for a year, if we can be honest, and we're just looking over it again. We're reconsidering, do I want to do this again? Am I willing to make these commitments, not 
just to God. I mean, God knows my heart. He knows what I want. But am I willing to commit to the other members of this church so that we might bind together? We might have something better together than we can have apart. And underneath each of the three things that I've invited you to participate in today is the implication that you must be covenanted to be able to participate in those things in a meaningful way. That we want you to not see your membership as a matter of whether or not you get to vote on a budget once a year, but that you would understand it to be meaningful, that we have a high view of membership, and that it comes with the opportunity to participate in ministry and to honor people whom God has called and equipped to do what he wants them to do. If I can, I want to kind of dig a little bit down into the concept first of just what covenant is, because maybe you hear covenant and you just think a promise, and you're like, so we just, what does that mean here? We just promise to try to be good to each other? Is that really that helpful in our Christian walk? No, I don't think it would be. What we mean when we talk about covenant is we're trying to model the, the bottom floor of our relationship with each other around the way that God interacts with us. And covenant is a theme in the Bible. You may remember way back at the early part of this year, you probably don't, but we spent two weeks quickly reviewing Genesis, which is a very long book. We probably went too fast. But we did that to try to get ready for Exodus. And one of the major points that we made while we were in Genesis is that God communicated with a man named Abram, a nomadic man who had no real allegiance to God prior to the moment that God revealed himself. And God made, in human history, the first formal covenant, the first shared promise between himself and mankind. Now, you could argue back in Genesis 3, when God curses mankind and the earth for their sin, that he makes some commitments that he's willing to follow through on, and I would agree with that, but he does it informally. When he approaches Abram, they actually have a ceremony in the desert together at night. Abram falls asleep, he wakes up, God gives him either a vision, or this actually happened, it doesn't really matter because it was transformative in Abram's life, it was an experience of God, where God had cut these different animals in half. Isn't that violent? God cut them, like not, not this way, like the worst way that you can cut a thing in half, where all, you can see all the organs, the guts, the bones, the blood, and God cut those things in half, and then he laid them out open on either side, and kind of made like a, you might think of like people on Survivor that have to run on hot coals, almost this like narrow little walkway between them, and there's animals, and there's birds that have been cut this way. God stands, and we don't, Abram can't see him, but he sees this like swinging censure, like a thing that the Eastern Orthodox Church uses to burn incense before they participate in Mass or the Roman Catholic Church. It's hanging and it's burning, and God speaks out of the darkness to Abram, and he says to him, I commit to you that I'm going to do these things for you. I'm going to make you into a people. I'm going to give you a place permanently, and you'll have purpose on the earth. That people and that place will serve that purpose. And then here's what God did that's amazing. This is the first covenant in the Bible. God chose to pass between those cut pieces of that animal, and he never demanded that Abram do likewise. Now you're thinking, that's weird, and why does that matter? Was it Halloween? Is this like a weird party God's having with Abram? No. What God is communicating by way of this traditional cutting, if you will, of a covenant, is God is saying, if I break my word to you, then may I experience what these animals experienced. May I be cut in half, which frankly is a thing that you can't do to God. But he's willing to show Abram how serious his commitment is that he would participate in a very human ceremony to convey to Abram's heart that he's sticking with Abram and his people. Now we fast forward to the book of Exodus. That's where we've been for a number of months. We're going to go back there in January. But at the end of the book of Exodus, when God's people arrive at Mount Sinai, God further reveals his covenant. It's not a different covenant. It's just a further understanding, an unpacking of details that God has known that his people just frankly weren't ready for. They didn't need all of those laws because they weren't a nation at the point that he spoke to Abram. So God reveals further his covenant. It gets sort of updated and expanded when King David comes along, who's a pretty famous warrior king in the Old Testament. And then finally, the culmination of the concept of covenant happens with 
Jesus, right? That's what we expect. We expect that anything that's happening in the Old Testament is going to reach its conclusion and fulfillment in the person of Christ. And so Jesus comes along. He does ministry for three years with his 12 disciples. He has a few more than that as well, but there's a real tight inner circle of 12. And at the very end of his life, they observe the traditional Passover meal, a thing that is itself rooted in the Exodus. Jesus sits with them at the table. He reclines, the Bible says, and they share drink and they share food. And Jesus speaks the words that Tyler read. I want to read them to you again, just as a reminder from Luke chapter 22. This is verse 19. Jesus took bread with his disciples at the table, and when he had given thanks for the bread, when he had thanked God the Father for the bread, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And as he handed it to them, he said, this is my body, which you've probably never experienced the cedar meal at Passover. You don't usually say to people at the dinner table, this is my body, when you hand it to them. Like if you had somebody over for dinner, and you were like, I made this turkey, but it's really me. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, I don't think it is, and I think we need to go home right now. Where are my keys? We're leaving. Like, but Jesus did that, and the reason he did it is because he's communicating, as you eat this meal that represents what God has done for you, the intercession of God in Egypt, when he set you free, the blood that was spilled, it's been about me the whole time. You just didn't know that. It's not that Jesus is changing the meaning. He's revealing a meaning that's always been there. It's like getting to the last chapter of a good book when all of the loose ends finally connect. Jesus is saying, it's been about me. My body was given for you, so do it, eat it, and as you do that, remember me. And likewise, verse 20, the cup, after they had eaten the bread, Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, or look, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. It's God's will that what's about to happen is going to happen, Jesus is saying. But woe to that man by whom Jesus is betrayed. And they began to question one another, the disciples, which of them it could be who was going to do this. The operative parts of this new covenant are not just about those 12 disciples. They're about you. When Jesus says in those verses that he gave himself to us, this is my body I give it to you, it's given for you, that's true for you and I. That's like the one thing that binds us together. That's why we're Christians. That's why Jesus is what we're all about. Is he uniquely in human history is a divine presence who gave himself for us totally. And then he goes on to say that he was also poured out on our behalf. Not only do we receive him, we receive all that his life could buy for us as well. Paul in the New Testament says that not only did Jesus die to save us from our sins, but he died to bring every blessing along with it. All the fullness of blessings in the Spirit in Christ are ours. That's why we remain oriented around him alone. It's why we can comfortably write, it's all about Jesus, and put it on a banner on our stage, because he's the only one that's done that for you and I. It's pivotal for us. Now, it's easy to miss in verse 20. He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. And it's not capitalized in the ESV because it's not like Jesus is sharing this like trademark thing. There's no R in a circle at the end of new covenant, but it's that big of a deal. This is the rollout of God's ultimate plan for his people. It's the thing he's been moving them toward, getting them ready for, foreshadowing about all through the Old Testament. But look what the people do. I want to read it to you again. These disciples, they miss it. And why do they miss it? They miss it because of verse 22. He says, this is it. This is the new covenant, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And what do the disciples do in verse 23? Is it you? Is it me? Betray him? Who would betray him? Am I going to betray him? Are you going to betray him? Jesus, he looked at you funny. Does he have a knife in his boot? I mean, they're like really getting ready to just mess each other up to try to defend Jesus. And I think that language of new covenant, though these men know the old covenant well, it goes right over their head. Why? 
because they're consumed with themselves as individuals. They're so worried about their own personal, individual, unique, isolated standing with Jesus. All they want to hear is, Jesus, am I good enough or not? Did I do enough today or not? Are you mad at me? Are you mad at him? Are you more mad at him than me? Because I can handle that. That's fine. You can be a little mad at me as long as you're more mad at him because then you'll just, he'll take your wrath and I'll just kind of be over here and hang around until we have a better day together. The reason I want to read that verse to you and show you that order, yes, the new covenant is important, but the disciples are human beings and you're a human being and you're just like them because I'm just like them. We're just like them. We hear language of new covenant, but then we find out that sin is an issue and we become hyper-focused on our individual standing with Jesus. We don't really care about being a church member. To us, it's a barrier we have to pass through to get access to a thing that we think might be necessary. If we're going to give our money to the church, then we kind of feel like we're investors, and therefore, as shareholders, we should get to sit at the annual meeting and decide how the CEO manages the money. It's a misunderstanding. What we are participating in as members in a local church, covenant members, we are participating in the new covenant of Jesus. And I just don't want you to be like the disciples, so worried and consumed about your own individual standing in God's kingdom that you forget that Jesus is creating something corporate with the new covenant. It's for you, plural. I know most of you probably can't read Greek, but Jesus isn't looking at every individual disciple and saying, this is the body and blood for you. This is the body and blood for you. This is the body and blood for you. He's saying, this is the body and blood for, if Jesus grew up in East Texas like I did, y'all. That's what he's saying. You collectively, none of you individually exist in this covenant separate from the rest of you. So we shouldn't be surprised that when Jesus does die, ascends to heaven, and commissions his disciples to become apostles to build the church, that the church is itself a corporate thing. The word that we get church from in Greek is ekklesia, and it's a word that existed way before the New Testament was written. It's just a common Greek word. It means assembly like a gathering. It's why a lot of trendy millennial churches like to call their Sunday morning service the gathering. Because it's just, a, we're using the ecclesia and we feel cool about it, okay? Here's what you have to know about an assembly. And I'm saying this to you even if you grew up homeschooled as an only child, okay? If you're the only person there, it's not an assembly. I don't care what your mom told you. If you're standing in the kitchen, pledging to the American flag, not an assembly. It's just you by yourself. It takes a group of people to assemble, it takes a team. It takes an organism that's larger than one. And so when we talk about covenant membership, this is what I'm trying to get at. This is the heart of my, my big idea right now. If you simply understand covenant membership to be the way that you fall rank and file into God's will for your life, then you've misunderstood it. If you understand covenant membership to simply be how you individually gain access to an elder, how you individually gain access to the service of deacons, how you individually gain comfort or a group of peers or nice people who are nice to you on Sunday, you've misunderstood those things. And especially especially if you understand covenant membership simply to be a barrier to pass through to get you a business meeting vote. You've misunderstood. Covenant membership means we model, this is the covenant portion, our relationship with each other after God's relationship with us, which in the Bible is a covenant relationship built on promises that we make, intending to keep, understanding that the weight of our lives rests fully on God's mercy and grace. That's covenant. Membership meaning we got to do it together. If membership is in a local church, then it's about being corporately gathered together, being assembled by God for his purposes. It's bigger than just any one of us. And for that reason, when we look at the prerequisites for membership at True North, we have to understand that these are not one person's idea. They're not my four favorite things that I wrote into the Constitution and bylaws. They're not even representative of the elders' ideas. 
The prerequisites to membership, according to our Constitution and bylaws, are the standard that each of you have for each of you. You have that level of authority. The elder's job is just to take care of you guys. We love on you. We try to preach the word, defend the doctrine of the church. But when it comes to actually participating in the future of the church, deciding who's in, who's out, that's you guys. It's not us. We don't do that to try to lord over you. We don't do that to try to be exclusive. All we do is try to bring to fruition things that you have communicated to us by way of the Constitution and bylaws that are important to you. So my question is this for you. How do we as people, if we can establish that the church is supposed to be an assembly, it's a gathering, it takes more than one of us to do that. How do we get from that to the modern, common, Western concept of what a church is, where we feel that we have every right to pick and choose what church we participate in based on whether the pastor is boring or entertaining, or the music is fast or slow, loud or soft. How do we get to there? What happened to move us from A.D. 15, where God's people are gathered in Jerusalem, and they have nothing in common but Jesus, and all they do, they do together, they pull their resources together, they love one another, they serve one another. How do we get from that to today, where you just kind of drive through the city or pull Google Maps up and look at enough photographs of the stage set up to decide whether or not the vibe is good for you. Well, I think that's actually the natural movement of the human heart. One of the reasons that I'm so comfortable with such a high view of membership here at True North is I believe that the boundaries that we put around membership, they don't function to keep anybody out. They're not designed to be exclusive or, or to push people out of a thing that God wants them to be a part of. They're designed to keep the flock in, because the natural motion of the momentum of your life is toward isolation, whether you want it to be or not. You are always slowly taking steps toward being more alone, more separate, more secret, more hidden, because you think those things mean you're more safe. But truly what they lead to is for you to just stay sick. That's what happens when we have a problem and we don't share it with anybody who can help us. So in the interest of keeping the flock together, of us rebinding, recommitting, renewing, your elders ask you to do that annually. We want you to make time to give attention to whether or not you truly want to be in. And what we want to do is make the way in pretty easy. We feel that all we've demanded from you, again, are the things that you've demanded from each other by way of our Constitution, and those things lead to health. They don't lead to you just getting in lockstep with your leaders. They don't lead to uniformity. They don't lead to blind followership. They lead to your benefit, your flourishing. I'll say it this way. If it's all about Jesus, then we who are following Jesus will find ourselves in the company of Jesus' people. We will be bound together with them. And if we're going to call ourselves a people, we have to be able to define what a people is. There has to be a boundary around that people that clearly communicates who is of those people and who is not. We covenant, we renew because of that drift that I told you about. And if we didn't have that renewal, I believe this. I believe that we would eventually dissolve. We would go away. Pick any denomination that has lowered its standard of theology and membership then advance that denomination 100 years into the future, and their churches are now yoga studios and microbreweries. I'm just telling you the truth. It's true in Anchorage. There's a church in Midtown that we used to office next to that's called the Church of Love. It's not a church. It's now a, a multi-use office building, a co-working space, a yoga studio, bingo hall, and a microbrewery. Because those people together decided it's really not that important to know who we are. It's really not that important to know where we're going. It's really not that big of a deal to have decided together to have a high standard for ourselves. Instead, we'll just lower and loosen and lower and loosen and lower 
and loosen. And eventually that fence that exists around the membership, it's just gone. And then what are you supposed to do? Then you're trying to communicate people an idea, a concept of a boundary with no boundary marker. You ever try to do that before? Give somebody directions? Maybe you're new in town and you stop somebody and go, hey, I'm just looking for a gas station. And they're like, well, what you need to do, this used to happen to me sometimes in Kentucky, you need to go down to where the old windmill used to be. You'll see the, you'll see the concrete blocks in the grass and you're going to take a left there. You're going to go about mm, six or seven houses. I think it's, it used to be six, maybe only be three houses. And so like over time, you're getting these directions and people are telling you you have to make decisions in your life based on stuff that used to be there that you can't even see anymore. You're not going to get anywhere on your own. You need boundary markers. You, we do. I'm not talking about you like you're less than me. I am a part of this we. As an elder, I am also a member here. We need boundary markers around us. If you still lack evidence, and I don't mean this to, to be mean, it's just the reality, drive down the park strip today. When we're done today, just drive west to east, head down toward the highway. You probably will anyway. And notice how many church buildings are on this park strip. And then look at their parking lots. They're all having church when we're done. We, we start early. They all start at 11. That's like classic. It's not in the Bible, but it might as well be. We do that at 11 a.m., okay? Just drive and look. Parking lots are empty. People are not there anymore. They used to be. There were enough people at one time that had a vision for those buildings that they pooled their resources and they faithfully gave in a way that was painful to try to get those buildings erected so there would be a central location for ministry in the city. That's what they wanted. And there's nobody left anymore. Because most places, the view of membership, the standard is not stringent. It's not high. It isn't challenging. It's very easy. You barely even feel when you move in. There's no resistance at all. And that's what it leads to. Churches shrink. They lose track of their members. They have lists of people who are supposed to be members, some of whom have been dead for 15 years. And like I mentioned earlier, the only time some of those people show up is just to vote no on things that they don't like. But they're not participating. They're not engaged. They're not growing. They're not thriving. They're not accountable. And all of those things are so much more important than what list your name is on. That's the vision that we have for you. That's what we want. And for those who've been willing to participate in my three years, I've only ever heard how good that can be. If you need a visual cue, you can think of that boundary between members and non-members like a fence. The lower the fence, the looser the boards get on the fence, the higher the chances that sheep who need to be in the pasture will wander out. It's just the way that we are. It's our natural momentum. And higher the chances are that those who are unwilling to participate in every part of the life of the church will slip in unnoticed. And then we'll begin to dilute the DNA of that church, diminish the admittedly high standards of the shepherds that they've placed over the flock. Now, if at this point the idea of being in and out is offensive to you, which is very possible, I was at a business meeting at Muldoon Road about a month and a half ago where we were talking just a little bit about church discipline, and I offended a lady by telling her that Jesus said in Matthew 18 that there are grounds for times to bring a person outside of the body for the sake of their salvation. Maybe that's a new concept for you as well. I'll appeal to that passage in one other, and I'm not going to read them to you for the sake of time. You can look them up on your own. But in Matthew 18 and in 1 Corinthians 5, both our Savior Jesus and the Apostle Paul communicate that there are times and places where a person who is in must be made to be out. And this is not a sermon on church discipline. I make that point to you so that you'll understand the Bible has categories for in and out. The Bible has categories for a boundary marker that gathers those of us who are here together and separates those who are not. And it doesn't ever separate them for the sake of their own exclusion, to belittle them, to bully them. It does that to draw a distinction, to set some apart and then to invite those who've not been set apart yet in, to say to them, come in, join us. Don't you see this? Don't you want it? Isn't it good? Isn't it better in here 
than it would have been if we would have just kind of said, yeah, everybody do what you want, it doesn't matter. We think so. We believe that to be true. So when it comes to membership here at True North, and if you're going to come to starting points this afternoon, I'm kind of stealing the thunder of that, but I want to address these four topics briefly, and then we're going to be done. We have quantifiable membership. When we invite you to participate in a business meeting, when we invite you to lay hands on an elder and ordain them, to commission and send a family into the mission field, we want these things from you before you participate in that. First, we expect that you are willing to come and get to know our elders. We try to make this easy. That's what's going to happen today at starting points. We want you to hear the history of the church. We want you to hear the elders' vision for where we're headed, the hopes that we have for the future. And we want to allow you and us the chance to contend over our potential philosophical and theological differences. We want to embrace that. We don't want to avoid it. We're not going to just try to get you to read a bunch of papers and sign one at the end. Come and talk. Come and share. Come and wrestle with us a little bit, and let's grow together. Second, we expect that you've taken the public step of revealing your faith in Jesus, that he's given you new life, and that you want to tell the rest of us that by way of water baptism. Functionally, at True North, we practice baptism by immersion as the very best picture of death, burial, and resurrection, but doctrinally, we only consider New Testament baptism to be baptism post-regeneration. You can't tell a story that hasn't happened to you yet. So any other version of baptism may have some kind of meaning but fails to meet the minimum expectation that the New Testament has for demonstrating to the world what Jesus has done. Expectation three is that you actively engage in a true north life group. And I'll admit to you, this one is a sticking point for some. This is a challenge. Some have the perspective that we are adding an unnecessary barrier to participating in the life of the church by requiring that covenant members be covenanted in community only with other covenant members. That feels a little bit exclusive to some. But I'll say this. I believe that to attempt to find your community with a group outside of the covenant members of your local church, the body Jesus built and appointed for you to participate in ministry and growth and equipping for the work of reconciliation, to do that removes, in my opinion, the fullest and most robust sense of participation that you can have. I believe that something less than that is less than that, that it is different enough that it matters. We say that life group helps us fulfill our need to belong to Jesus and to each other, and our elders have found that belonging is never fulfilled without faithful participation in the lives, not just of some Christians somewhere, but of the covenant members of the local church that you have bound yourself to. Because again, this isn't just membership, so you can get your card, swipe it, and vote once a year. This is a covenant that mirrors God's covenant with us. It's that serious. Expectation four, and the last one, we want you to give of yourself and give of your life. I just read to you Jesus' words at his last meal with his disciples, right? What did he say? This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. What a great model for how we serve each other in the church. We want you to give of yourselves, and we want you to pour out what you've got. Doesn't mean you got to give us 100% of every paycheck. That's probably unwise and isn't in the Bible. However, there is an element of our resources, if we are rightly aligned and in posture, understanding that Jesus is over all things and owns all things, our resources are already his resources. But it's bigger than that. It's your time. It's your energy. For some of us, it's giving up our insecurities to try to participate in the life of the church. It's letting go of the fear that would cause us to stay back and away, hidden in the shadows of obscurity and anonymity, and instead stepping into the light to participate in community with each other. We give these things up to God by way of participation in his church. Again, not because his church is a really cool club or the best thing that we've got going on this side of heaven, because he built it. He assembled the assembly. There is no ecclesia without that new covenant 
of Jesus. So we do these four things, and we try to do them as mutual submission, to quote the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. We lay down our preferences, we lay down our perspectives and our pasts for the benefit of one another, and we trust that God will use those. And then out of that, out of church membership, there's two offices. One is the office of deacon, one is the office of elder, and that's it. Those are the three cogs that exist under the hood of the local church. Jesus himself is the great shepherd, the leader, the elder of all the churches. He appoints some to be local elders. You as members participate in that. At True North, we're not elder-ruled. We're not Presbyterian, okay? We are elder-led, which means that we have the opportunity to think about and work on and try to get ready ideas and concepts and motions and movement and then present them to you, but you still rule. You, the covenant members, decide the motion and the movement of the church. We provide leadership. We provide pastoral care. We preach. We teach. We clarify. We defend. We contend for the sake of the gospel. That's our responsibility. And then deacons, deacons, deputies of the elders of the local church, deacons appointed to meet the needs of the local church. If you've never read Acts chapter 6, it's a miracle. I can't read it to you today, but read it sometime and notice, if you will, that the need that emerges in the local church in Acts chapter 6 is centered around a certain ethnic subset of the church, a group of people who don't fit in with the majority. They make their need known to the elders. The elders tell the congregation, you guys got to figure this out. And so they appoint men of that ethnicity. They invest power and authority into people that are different enough from them to be offensive so that they can carry out the work of the church. That's humility in play. And that's what we want. And in just a few weeks, you're going to be voting on an elder candidate, Mike Ottenweller. You're going to be voting on five deacon candidates, men and women who've submitted to training and feel that God has empowered them this way, people whose names you have put forward as participating covenant members, that they might become servants of the body. The season that the church is in right now demands that we speak about these things and how they work. I know this feels like you're reading an instruction manual or like how to put together an Ikea church maybe to you. I don't know. Hopefully it's clearer than that. We didn't break any parts or put anything on backwards today. But this is necessary. This is in God's word. These are not secondary issues. These are not man-made concepts that help us keep a nice, big, fun Christian club together. This is God's will for how the world has changed. The conduit for that change is the local church. It is the living body of Jesus. And when we meet to vote, we need to know who is voting. We need to know why they have the right to do that. We ought to have full confidence that every member present is regenerated by the Spirit of God, is filled with the presence of that Spirit, so that we are able, by the very mundane act of casting our individual votes, to somehow obtain supernatural unity. That's what's on the table for us. So we need to be in prayer. We need to understand the value and significance of our covenant with one another. We need to see it that way. Not as just binding between member and elder or member and God, but member to member. Are we participating in that together? We need to consider and test and then move for or against every motion that approaches the future of the church in a business meeting setting. We need to see these not as just business decisions, but understand that every vote holds the future of this local body of Christ in swing, in its hands, back and forth. What's going to happen? Are we going to go left or right? This way or that way? Are we for this thing or against it? Do we believe these things or do we not? We decide together we follow the Spirit corporately. And if I can just leave you with a thought, it's this, that church membership is not a necessary evil that comes with being part of a human organization that we call the church. Church membership is supernatural. It is available to you and I only through the new covenant of Jesus. There is no ecclesia. There is no membership in that ecclesia. There is no covenant with that ecclesia without that blood of Jesus poured out. That's part of what he died to pay for. 
That membership is life-giving, it is faith-building, and it's a source of joy for us as we know one another and we are known in a local church. So this is my appeal. If you are a believer, don't cut yourself off from that. I'm sure you have reasons. I'm sure some of you have reasons where you feel like it's just not going to work for you. What I'm telling you is to bind yourself together with the local body of Jesus can only ever be good for you. And if it is painful and if it is challenging and if it is confusing, your elders are here. We care. We love you. We want to help you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for these things that are coming up in the life of our church. Father, we have a lot in front of us. And it's going to happen quickly, Lord. And I I just want us to be prepared. I know and I appreciate so much that we have a very high level of trust between our elders and our members. And I think that's good. I don't want to belittle that or discount it. But it's insufficient. It's not enough. God, anything that leads us to blindly follow, to stop thinking, to stop praying, to stop asking, considering, contending, wrestling, challenging, it's not good. We've been given by you, Father, minds. We've been given by you, hearts. We have a spiritual sense of right and wrong, discernment. As we read your word, as we pray, as we meditate, as we're alone with you. And so I ask, God, that you would allow these men and women to let what may seem like the boring business of an entity or an establishment to become the subject of their intimate prayer lives. That we would show up for these decision-making moments having beaten these ideas to death in your presence, having just attacked them from every angle, questioned them and prayed over them and begged you to be clear. We believe that we have that kind of access I hope we won't waste it, Lord. We trust you with these decisions. We trust you with the ordination of Ian. We trust you, God, with the future of the Belmore family. We certainly trust you with our budget, our future elders, our new deacons, and even the potential merger with this other church. What incredibly valuable yet sensitive things in front of us, God. Lead us, please. We need your help. We need clarity from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.